1: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at VisitspaceCoast.com.
2: Welcome to the first MENAS Masterclass, where each month I will go deep with one of my favorite cricket stars. The full interviews will be exclusively released for our elite-level Patreon subscribers and I have a cracker to start. Shane Watson is one of the few Australians to captain Australia and score a century in all three formats. He is one of the finest white ball players Australia has ever produced and was an undervalued test cricketer. He scored 14 tonnes and took 291 wickets for Australia in all formats. His one-day international batting average of 41 at a strike rate of over 90 puts him in the top echelon of 50 over cricketers. In this interview, we also discussed what stopped him at times from getting the best out of himself at test level. I have often thought about why Shane Watson was undervalued, and I think it is because he entered the test side in 2005 right towards the end of Australia's golden generation when the expectations of the public were extremely high. Shane has continued to prosper in T20 leagues all around the world and has now ceased playing and has started a new business selling cricket equipment online at t20stars.com. Here he
0: is, Shane Watson.
2: Shane, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have another podcaster in studio.
0: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, thanks so much
2: for having me. Uh, uh, just an amazing record. Do you, do you sort of look over your numbers now that you've retired?
0: Not really. No, not really. Apart from, I suppose, the just the games the, that I play is probably the thing that stands out. And I always do. When I look back now that I've stopped playing altogether, I, I really do um, don't take for granted how fortunate I was to be able to have such a long career. Um, it was definitely I had a lot of injuries and challenges through that, through those periods, through my career. But still, yeah, to be able to have that longevity, uh, it's – I feel very fortunate. There's no question, yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it's a remarkable uh, journey. If you look at – you know, you started in the Steve Waugh era and you, you finished at what, IPL 13 – uh, you've seen like cricket change so much. Uh, you must have, um, I don't know, so much um, knowledge just swimming around there from all that experience.
0: Yeah, and that's I do. I do feel very lucky to have sort of crossed over a few different eras, and and one being Steve Waugh's my first tour to South Africa with the Test squad as a young guy, just to sort of I was never going to play, but more so there as a um, in the lead into the One Day Series after. But to be able to sort of be across Steve Waugh and that that era of, of Australian cricket. And then sort of move on you know, until um, just just recently as well. Yeah, I feel I feel very fortunate. And when I first started playing, there's no T20 cricket. There's no such thing. Like growing up, it was is all about being the te- best Test cricketer that I possibly could be. And then to see how cricket's evolved because of the T20 game, and then how it's it elongated my career as well for you know, four or five years by playing the T20 leagues ar- around the world as well. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, I've, I do feel I'm very very fortunate, very lucky, and, and the knowledge that I've been able to gain by just my own experiences across those different eras, but also the incredible people that I was so fortunate to play with as well. Mm. Um, and because I've always been a sponge, i always trying to learn and and, and get better, I've, I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> well, I think it's funny from the outside
2: as a fan, I think if you'd asked us early on in your career, would Shane... Watson still be playing in, you know, 2020 would have had a laugh. Well, he's always injured. How's he going to keep going? So (laughs) it's amazing that you're sort of able to work through those early injuries. And it seemed from the outside that you enjoyed the second half of your career a little bit more. You seemed Mm. a bit freer in the sort of back half of your career. Would Mm. that be sort of fair?
0: Yeah, definitely. Because I was so obsessed as a young kid of, of playing cricket for Australia. I just, that was my dream. And I was doing everything I could... Everything I could to be the best cricketer I could be, and of course my my ultimate goal was to play for Australia, so I was very um, determined, very single-minded, very obsessed with just every detail of my game, whether it was technically, whether it was physically, um, across the board, I was just doing everything I could, which meant that I did put a lot of pressure on myself, uh, because I wanted to be the best that I could be. And then it got to a stage around – it was around 2007, 2008 when I just had like constant sort of – especially hamstring injuries and calf injuries. It just – it looked like for a period of time that I wasn't going to be able to on the international stage like achieve what I thought I I could. And it got to a stage there when 2009 when I got an opportunity to open the batting in in Test Cricket. That was a time where it was like a perfect storm in a way. I had the freedom in my mind because I thought that maybe the chance of – playing well for my country were not going to happen again. I'd managed my body. I had a, a guru who sort of looked after me for about a year, a year to 18 months who really sort of just tied everything together from a from a body point of view and resilience point of view. And then it was just like the celebration and freedom, and that's where I really started to enjoy all the, I suppose, the fruits of, of what I'd trained so hard for and obsessed about for so long. And then it's, it went up and down at, to- at times – but that's a beauty. Also, then T Twenty cricket and the IPL sort of came in, so you could sort of have your your breaking away from the international sort of cricket and sort of get into a different environment. Which, well, especially at that time, Rajasthan Rules was was so much, was so much fun. So it gave me a sort of a break away from that interne- international Australian cricket sort of bubble, which you can um, get entrenched in.
2: Was that IPL where you were with the Royals and I think Warney was the skipper, wasn't he? Was it was that kind of a little bit of a turning point where you sort of gained some of that self belief that if you could do it on that stage, you could
0: kind of do it anywhere. It certainly was, yeah. And and again, that was the the back end of the, that twelve months of of working on um, like the different aspects of my body to be able to try and be more well to be more resilient, as well as like it is when. I always tried to make the most of the setbacks that I had. So when I had a was a back injury or had a soft tissue injury, I'd always then go back and work on my batting. So I'd I'd just whether it was I'd work on my deficiencies that I'd had in the lead up to that injury, and then just try and continue to grow my grow my batting and make the most of that um, that downtime that I had. And again, that was just a, a perfect storm. That IPL 2008, I had sort of been dropped from I was away from Australian cricket at a period of time because because of my injuries that I had. I was available to play the whole IPL when the guys who were in and around the Australian squad, they only played the first two weeks of the IPL um, and Shane Warne was playing because he he'd retired and that really was just an opportunity to be able to put my skills really on show at in an international quality tournament and then things sort of expanded from, yeah, just, just really grew from there.
2: And is there something to having someone like Shane Warne in your corner when someone like that backs you, it does give you that boost?
0: Yeah, for, for sure. And Warnie, he, he's always been incredibly good to me from the first time I came in around the Aussie team in two thousand and two. Uh, and he always, he always believed in me, always backed me. I had an opportunity to play at Hampshire because of uh, two, two stints at Hampshire because of Warney and then he was very instrumental in getting me to the Rajasthan Rules as well. And just his, his belief and ability to be able to get the best out of people—it's an incredible skill that he's that he's got and that he had um, as a, as a leader. He just knew how to build like give people the right information to get the best out of them. And he certainly knew how to do that with me, as, as did Ricky Ponting as well. And Ricky Ponting had to be more patient than Warney because he had to absorb my injuries for that period of time from mm. 2002, you know, all the way through to probably 2009, really. And Ricky was, again, was incredibly patient, always really believed in me and knew how to get the best out of me as well. So to be able to have those two guys be such core mentors for me. Oh, not a bad life. Yeah, I know. I feel I think, again I feel very very fortunate because they were able to have the confidence in me, the patience as well when it was needed while I was sort of having my setbacks to then know how to get the best out of I me and say the right things at the right time to just to for me to achieve things that I didn't think was possible. And it's a great skill they both have.
2: Mm. All right, let's go back to the beginning. Now I know your parents have been a really strong influence in your life. Mm. Your dad uh, was in the Air Force, your mum, a teacher at your school, uh, in the admin at your school. Yep. It seems like they gave you a really solid grounding um, that has never really left you. Mm. And, and I can only imagine how important that was as you sort of tried to ne- sort of negotiate your your career through, um, you know, the international um, cricket
0: calendar. Mm. Yeah, uh, mum and dad were always... Yeah, well gave me an incredible incredible foundation in my life and, and the values that they instilled in me. Um, and also my environment that I grew up in in around Ipswich growing growing up in Ipswich as well. It was a very much a, a small smor- a sporting community in a big way. There was a lot of was a number of um, heroes that had come out of Ipswich as well that I um, aspired to be like. And and the support that mum and dad always gave me, I never felt like well, I always felt like I had the opportunities. If an opportunity arose with cricket or rugby, and, and school as well, for example, like for them to be able to sacrifice what they had to to be able to put me through um, Ipswich Grammar School at that time is one of the reasons why Mum worked at the school as well because we got Get a, bit a, of discount. a discount discount <laughs> on the fees. So, you know, there's there's the different sacrifice Mum and Dad made to be able to give me all the opportunities that they could, that they possibly could, whether it was through time, like with my dad to be able to sort of drive me, especially to and from cricket, and then be involved in Ips- Ipswich junior cricket up until then I moved on but dad still stayed there coaching Ipswich junior cricket until I was in my 20s as well so the the time that they spent but also then the sacrifice they made for me to have the best opportunities I possibly could and that really gave me a really a super solid foundation of for my life and then yeah negotiating a very different world of international cricket <laughs> yeah. if I probably if I didn't have that foundation you can easily I could have easily sort of um, gone up and down a lot more than than what I did. And did you ever um, get fit, like pulled away from your moral compass, like at any time? No, not not really. Like, there's definitely things out there that can challenge that, mm. but no, no, I was just so I was so determined to be the best cricketer that I could be, and that's how it would have been, Um, outside of my study, because that was re- like super important through high school, but outside of that, it was it was always I just wanted to be the best cricketer I could be, and whatever sacrifice I had to make that didn't, that didn't worry me whatsoever. I just wanted to be the, give myself the best chance of being the best cricketer I could be. So yeah, there's always temptations out there, but my priority was always, my priority was always my, my cricket and, um and sticking strong to what my morals always were. Um, So that was, I've always found that pretty easy.
2: And then you made, you were in the Australian under 19 side at the time. You went on Mm. tour with a lot of cricketed. You end up ended up playing a lot of international cricket with. Mm. I mean, that must be a really special part of your career because your cricketers often talk about when they leave the game, it's the friendships that they've made that they remember. They don't mm. remember the hundreds or the great days, but they remember the mates they've mm. got. I mean, do you have
0: um, – who are some of your mates that you still hold close from those days? Yeah, it's, that's uh, the beauty of, I suppose, going through junior, junior cricket and especially in the time that I did, even in Queensland. Like, we had a number of, of – like great cricketers who came through around the same, same time that I did, whether that was um, you know, Nathan Horrocks, who played quite a bit of, uh, of cricket for Australia, uh, Mitch Johnson, uh, Chris Hartley, who didn't play for Australia, really great for Australia, but keeper. played, oh yeah, it was like an incredible servant to, a, to Queensland cricket. And then Andrew McDonald uh, as well. There's like there's a number, so many guys really, who, who through that period of time played Australian under-19s um, with and, and Queensland under-19s with as well. And then to be able to experience things on the field as well, on and off the field, like, internationally and living your dream together, um, you know, the person that really stands out to me the most is Mitch Johnson. Because um, he, in the end, like, we billeted, mum and dad, we sort of billeted him as a 17-year-old and I used to drive him, we used to drive to get up together to go to Queensland Under-19 sort of training. So to go from someone, like, being billeting Mitch Johnson to then being able to share some very special moments on the field, like, you know, two that stand out of the um, Ashes... The Ashes win um, in 2013, 14, where he just dominated. He won mm. us the Ashes series, really, Mitch Johnson, and then Absolutely. and then the 2015 World Cup that we'd always been it always been sort of there in the distance as a, as young guys in our early 20s. That there was an, a World Cup at home in Australia um, to be able to be a part of that together as well and share that special special time as well. The the memories that you only dream of as young kids.
2: And, and, and do the, you sort uh, of um, do you have those pinch yourself moments? You know when you. I know, at at the MCG with, you know, the 2015 World Cup, do you and someone like Mitch go, you know, can you believe this has happened?
0: Yeah, of course. You have to, the the realization of these very special moments. And uh, I, yeah, I remember walking around the MCG after we'd won that World Cup with with Mitch and just saying, like, you can, you imagine, like, (laughs) that this would actually be possible. Um, And yeah, of course, like, you never take it, you never take it for granted because you know how, um, how quickly things can be taken away, especially either way, and yeah, the other moments that so we'll definitely cherish. It seems like you well. got
2: that appreciation quite early because of your injuries and not being able to play. That you, uh, w- when you had those great moments, knew to, to sort of you know cherish them.
0: You cherish them, but then the one thing that you've got no choice to to do is to move on to the next thing as well. So even though you you cherish them right at that moment, then you don't have much time to really like bathe in bathe in that mm. sort of um, excitement as well. So even that 2015 World Cup, I had two days to two days of enjoyment and really like take it all in that we and the enormity of winning a World Cup at home to then reset to get ready to go to the IPL and get ready for another season um, with the Rajasthan Royals. So that's a thing about a lot of the time. Like the 2007 World Cup was a different it was was different a different experience in a great way. So because there was less cricket on at that time. 2007 world cup we won the world cup came back and we had like four and a half months off in between the the end of the tournament um into the next next series that we had so there was more time to really sort of enjoy it and 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 soak in that um that experience but now because a lot of the time you're always on the go you only have a couple of days to sort of reset to then move on to the next thing and it's now not until you know i finish playing all together where you can really sit back and just it's hard to believe that you're, you know I was able mm. to be a part of you know things like that. You, you often hear franchise players talk about that that uh, they've
2: say won a tournament like the IPL, and then the next morning they're on a plane mm. uh, heading to the next destination, and it's mm. it's that fast. So yeah, it's incredible how quickly the cricket world moves. Mm. Um, so you made your first class debut for Tasmania against Queensland. You know, you've spoken that you you're given a pretty tough time, obviously as was the custom then, if someone went and played for another state, you're always put through the ringer. Do you, do you think that that would happen now? Because I feel like the way the culture's changed in cricket in this country and people moving around for the big bash and stuff, that
0: shield cricket is bloody hard. Mm. But I don't think you you would be put through that again. No, it's a very different time now. <laughs> That's for sure. Like even – like there's rookie contracts in place now, which means that you can't move halfway through a season as well, so that's mm-hmm. a, as a starting point. But yeah, people move around a lot, a lot more now. But I suppose back then, especially Queensland cricket, you never, you never moved away, even though, like looking back, you know, Queensland cricket were happy for like Alan Border and Jeff Thompson and to come the come Greg Jack. yeah. Up. yeah. <laughs> so a few decent players <laughs> to come up and um, work the and, other way. Yeah. <laughs> but working the other way, didn't sit that, sit that well at all. And look, I, I, I get it from a, from a point of view. That, um, you know, because I'm, I'm a proud Queensland, I always have been. But opportunity for me was just, it was too obvious and too big an opportunity to not to not take up, to move down to Tassie, to be able to fast track. For the guys around my age who went, played under the Australian 19s with and went to the Cricket Academy with, like, n- not many guys had that opportunity to be able to play first-class cricket at, at that time. So I had to I had to make the most of it. Um, and Queensland cricket at that time, the, the guys are the very sort of older team very old school the way they played and I like in the end I look back and it was it was awesome mm. like, to be able to cop like if I could get through that and absorb the absorb what happened on the you know the that game the, yeah yeah <laughs> absorb the baptism of fire in a way meant that I could just about absorb anything um and so yeah it was a it was a, it was a great way to sort of test out my skill my mental and, and technical skill at that time
2: yeah it's um it was so long ago I was on quick info and it was <laughs> two thousand and one, two thousand and two. They don't even have the scorecard available. It was, you know, pre-digitizing <laughs> all the the scorecards.
0: Gosh, okay, yeah.
2: But yeah, I mean, it, I guess you know when you put through that baptism of fire, it just sort of everything from there is going to be a little bit. I mean, your next game is going to be much easier after you've had to suffer yeah. that. So, but yeah, I just don't think that would happen anymore. I think. Um, we've kind of moved yeah. away from that and people are more understanding of the sort of professional culture and the fact that you only have one s- sort of chance in your mm. career and you have to go where there's opportunity yeah.
0: yeah there's a lot more movement now there's no question in in first class cricket beforehand it wasn't unless you were on the really just on the verge um on the on the sidelines a little bit you wouldn't even c- consider moving it was part of um you know the apprenticeship that you had to that you had to um pay so it was yeah it's it's definitely a lot more free now and and also like now the umpires are a lot more sort of onto if there's any sort of real um, yeah ongoing <laughs> abuse or sledging yeah, the umpires are the all way. over it as well and it's just yeah and now because of the big bash you're potentially playing with someone on like at some stage anyway so you sort of you got to you can't go too hard at someone knowing that you potentially might be playing with them um, and have to share a dressing with someone you m- you might have just sledged a living yeah, day what's that, out of.
2: They'll be in the nets, balling um, yeah. bounces at yeah, exactly. you exactly. So Harry Conway sledged a few of the um, Queenslanders a couple of years ago, and then you know, he was playing with Billy Stanlake in the yeah. the strikers later that summer, So yeah. can you imagine how the nets were for <laughs> old Harry? Um, so you spoke about the two thousand and two South African tour with, you know, what was the all-conquering side of the time st- led by Steve War, but. You know I've often thought that for the for your generation of cricketer that there was you know the sort of extra weight of pressure and expectation coming out of that great generation that it, it somehow sort of weighed down some of the cricketers because Australia had this tr- incredible run of results that was basically unsustainable. Mm-hmm. um you know did, did you did, did did you notice that in your generation that there was this pressure
0: to sort of emulate what these um greats are done oh there's obviously expectation of what's of what the public expect from the from the Australian cricket team and because of the the bar was set so high because of that that like just mind-blowing generation of Australian cricketers that came through at that time Mm. then of course you know everyone expected that's just how it was supposed to be but I I felt some of the the bigger achievements that I had within the Australian team was without was without a lot of those great players um, like the 2009 Champions Trophy that we won in South Africa, Ricky Ponning was one of the last of that sort of era still playing. So that for me was one of the like highlights for us as a, an Australian cricket team away from just you know the inundation of the, some of the greatest cricketers the world's ever seen playing the 2007 World Cup or the 2006 Champions Trophy that we won in India. So that that really stands out to me about around you know. What a special achievement that was, and that's why then to be able to go through, you know, especially the down periods of time, uh, two thousand and eleven World Cup, we got it knocked out in the quarter final, then the couple of Ashes series that we that we lost. The one that we lost at home as well, which was just like sacrilege to lose a an Asher series mm, at God. home and heads you know heads rolled after that as well. Boxing as, Day as was the worst. that boxing day was <laughs> one of the
2: worst days of my life.
0: So I can, okay, were you playing in that game? Yeah, yeah, I oh, got knocked oh, over okay, already, yeah. yeah. That's that's not yeah. rubbish at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like the expectations were yeah, no doubt were high, but that's all I I really enjoy mm. the the thought of being more of a senior player in the Australian team. To, to And it was more so making the most of all the information that I'd gained by playing with those incredible players, all the experiences that I've had by playing international cricket for that period of time. I felt it was my time to step up at that uh, at that moment as well. Yeah. Like it was with Michael Clark and um, and Mitch Johnson and, and those guys as well. It was, t- it was time to stand up. So you sort of just took that as a as a badge of honour in a way that you'd had that longevity to be able to be a senior player in the Australian career team and, and try and step up. Yeah, it just felt like, though,
2: whenever there was a loss, because Australia had been so spoiled, as you say, mm. it was like the world was ending because <laughs> the Australians had lost a series. Yeah. I feel like now, actually, we've moved past that. It's taken a long time, but finally there's um, a little bit more understanding that it's not all going to be ups. And, mm. uh, you know, we we were just incredibly spoiled. I guess, did you did, did you feel that there was that extra pressure on the
0: team at the time uh there's always pressure anyway no, like even with really. that great team um a great era of Australian cricket there was so much there was a lot of pressure so much pressure on them to perform and perform in the right way even if they won and they they behaved poorly then that would you know that would get a Lot of coverage as well by the media, so there's always so much expectation. But they just had such a great way, those players had such a great way of just dealing with they it. They just kept winning, <laughs> yeah, and just they just knew Warm how to segment it. Yeah, absolutely, they just knew how to segment it. So, where and so I didn't feel any, any extra expectations, it was more so when the team didn't win, then yeah, of course, there was, there was more, yeah, there's more people sort of piling in at that, yeah. at that time. But that's just all that's that's part and parcel, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Testaboo
2: 2005 against Pakistan at the SCG. I was fortunate enough to beat every day of that test match, so I remember it very well. Mm. And uh, I'm curious, how were you given the news that finally you were going to get the baggy green? Because you have been in and around the, the squads, played a lot of limited overs cricket up until then. What was the, so Who told you
0: that you were going to be in the 11 and what was that moment like? Yeah, so it was it was a guy for, uh, who was head of operations at Crea Australia called Michael Brown, who was there yep. for quite a long period of time. He rang me while I was actually on holiday up at Hamilton Island. Uh, thinking I was going to have some time off over, over Christmas and New Year and just rang and said, You've, yeah, you're in the, in the 12 for the Sydney Test match and the, yeah, the likelihood is it that you're going to most probably play. And just, yeah, that whole, that whole time was just because my dream was always to, to wear the baggy green, to be able to play a Test match, um, to be able to get that news, just something that I always worked s- so hard for and just like dreamed about it for such a long period of time. And then when that realisation comes comes around, you know, and I you know I got on the field, and and played my first test match, then you're the realisation that now it's it's actually really started. Now it's time to be able. To, okay, what do I have to do to be able to play well? Not just get the baggy green, but be able to play well and and try and perform for you know with the baggy green on my head. Um, and then that's so that's the that's the next step after, which is the most. It's the most challenging because there's more, there's more eyes on you, there's more pressure on you, there's you know, a lot more expectation around it as well. So um, that's when it when it really begun. But that yeah, that first test match, that's why Sydney also plays is such a holds such a special part in, uh, in my heart. Their is because it's my first you know, my first test match that I played. Um, I've just got so many great memories around around that time, and then some of my spe- you know, most special moments as well. Whether it's uh, for, for Australia in the, in the Big Bash, um, you know, the, the day – was day three of the, of the uh, fifth test against England when we won uh, on Jane McGrath Day and, you know, was able to walk around the field. There's just so many special memories that have the SCG. that um, – MCG certainly, like, I had probably better performances at the MCG. Um, but the SEG has just got, so, you know, so much um, fondness for me, yeah.
2: And what was it like uh, telling you, your parents – who you know supported you all the way that you were going to be playing a test match
0: yeah well of course is the realization <laughs> for because my you know my dad was is still is a you know, huge cricket tragic so um yeah the thought that someone um one of his progeny could actually play cricket for australia was yeah a very uh, special moment for for both of them and also they knew how how much I'd you know, how much I'd put into it as as well at that, at that stage um so they were yeah incredibly proud and that's something that it's really nice that I've been able to do what I've done to sort of um, it's really just like a thank you for my parents for being able to give me the opportunities that, that they did from a cricket perspective but also just the grounding that they gave me as a person as well
2: I mean that that must have just been an, a great moment when you were given the baggy green. Mm. were you? Was were they doing the presentation yeah. ceremony when you were around it? Because before that, apparently it was just stuck stuck yeah. in your kit and you
0: just yeah. get delivered and put it on at home by yourself. Well, what about you? Who gave it to you? Yeah, Mark Taylor gave it uh, gave it to me. So again, he was someone that I always looked up looked up to as um, growing up. As a as a leader but also as a as a batsman that um eighty nine Ashes series, I remember it like like it was yesterday, you know, when he when him and Jeff Marsh batted through that through that day of <laughs> first ever test match um and the series that he had. So he was someone I always looked up to. So to be able to get you know, be presented by Baggy Green by one of the, the greats of Australian cricket was yeah, was yeah fantastic. Special, yeah.
2: And then You know, moving forward, uh, I felt like the whole country was riding the wave of getting you to a Test 100. There was, (laughs) you know, the the close shaves a couple of times and Mm. then Boxing Day Test 2009, you made 90 in the first innings. Mm. And then in the second innings, finally, and I say finally because we're all riding with you, but you you made your first Test 100. You went on to make four Test tons. Mm. I can imagine that's like... Kind of the pinnacle for a test player, you when you you know you score a hundred in, in a big game, you know was that kind of um, the days you really sort of hold close?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like scoring a hundred from any for any cricketer growing up is just is the holy grail, and that's one thing that um, like I, I look back at my my career and what by like, especially in, in test career for example and my conversion rate. Um, from fifties, but also even like com- conversion rate from a good day where I'm batting well and I'm you know thirty or forty, and then I get out, and I look back at now and and why that was the case, and it's just because I was so like the hundred was such I just put so much energy onto how important that hundred was that then I'd I'd allow myself to either like my mind to move forward at the wrong time. Or a lot of the time I'd, just, I'd be burning out my, my, my mental energy because I'm just so obsessed with like staying, like staying switched on yep. instead of actually switching on and switching off, which is which one is of the, the most trick, important skills to be able to concentrate for you know, a, a long day. The ultimate for a cricketer is to be able to bat a full day, so bat six hours in a, in a test match. So um, that's the one thing that you know, I didn't know I, was, I did the best that I possibly could that's the one thing because it's just I put so much effort, and as always, as a young kid, and it, everything was around. I woke up, um, even you know, playing high school cricket. It was okay today. I, I need to get one hundred, and even at that stage, getting hundreds, I'd get to eighties and nineties. But just because I just put so much pressure on onto myself to to score one hundred, a lot of the times I'd sort of I'd get out before it. Yeah. So that was just a trait that happened all the way through my career. Really, apart from like one day cricket, not as much because one day cricket it's more about the score your team score. So it's more about, okay, what are we chasing? What do we need to get to? Whereas test matches, more time to think, more time, it's a bit more individual in that way. If I, okay, if I get a big score, then it will set up, set up the team to, to get a big total. Whereas one day cricket, it's more sort of defined and that sort of sat better with me. In, in a way, it's going to free and easier. Yeah, exactly. So, um,
2: because all the great cricketers talk about, just concentrate on the next bloody ball. Mm. I, you know, I used to read, you know, books like Ian Healy growing up and, his thing was switch off between every yeah. ball. Otherwise, he he couldn't have concentrated all day. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's so easy to just get so intense. And when you're in the, you know, competing, mm. you lose sight of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you say that, you talk about your conversion rate, you know, 900 for Australia in 50 over cricket, four in test cricket, one in T20 cricket, one of the very few players for Australia to have hundreds in all formats. I think Warner... Len Maxwell and yourself are probably the only three I can think of. It's quite a record. I mean the games are so different yet you were able to sort of prosper in all of them it's a it's a, It's an amazing skill I guess looking at your one day record it's probably the best record, and it's the one where you said you felt most comfortable but mm. nine hundred strike rate of almost a hundred you know over ninety it's incredible mm. i mean you I think you're fifty over records. You know, averaging over forty is undervalued. I mean, mm. it's just a phenomenal record.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting. Sort of growing up, my, my I just wanted to be the best test cricketer because that's also how you compared against all the other mm. cricketers who've, who've ever played. So my obsession was always around having the best defensive technique and um, having the just being the best test cricketer that I could be, batting and bowling. Um, and then it got to got to a, a stage where I, f- I definitely felt like I had the game to be. Um, the technical game to be the, the test cricketer that I that I thought I could be, but then when I look back over, it's just the the mental, like the just the mental skills, the simple sort of mental skills, even something as simple as switching on and switching off, so I can serve mental energy. That was just something that um, some days I was really good at, and then other days, which is a lot of other time, because I was so I wanted to do so well. I wanted to, in an Ashes test, I wanted to you know I wanted to stand up, I wanted to be the person who really set the tone for the team. Um, but then I just you know, suffocated myself in, in a way just by not having those really simple skills to be able to switch on and switch off. That, again, I wish I asked the questions that I have r- over the <laughs> last sort of 12 months around you know, these great players that I played with um, around the mental skills and their sort of mental skills routine, but also it's only been the last you know, four or five years that I've really educated myself on the mental skills wow. side of things as well that I really understood how I was like shooting myself in the foot in a way and then that's why the last sort of four or five years, it was proving to myself as well that even if I was, I was getting older, that I could still bat as a starting point, bat as well as I ever had by understanding how to get out of my own way to be able to access all the skills that I had. So again, it's never, it's never too late to be able to learn something. But yeah, the, my, the mental skills stuff is something that is so important to be able to access all the technical skills that you really work so hard on. And if you're just not educated in the right way or connect with the right person to understand how to do that, then you're just you're sort of just doing the same thing or similar sort of habits over and over again.
2: Yeah, reinforcing bad habits sometimes. <laughs> yeah. did, did, you, did you find when you pushed up to open the batting that was just w- where you felt most comfortable? Just, and do you sort of wish you'd sort
0: of, I don't know, maybe been able to do that a bit earlier in your career or...? Oh, no, no, because like any, oh, but any opportunity that I got, but technically I probably wasn't ready as well. Like I, I was opening um, the batting in one day cricket even around 2006. So I was opening the batting, but not in, in test cricket. And no, I probably didn't have the, the skill at that time, the technical skill and, and even tactics to be able to open the batting at that stage. But there's no, the one thing, as soon as I opened the batting in test cricket, all of a sudden one thing, the freedom of mind just opened up because batting at four or I'm also batting at six or seven where mm. it was in test career at that stage I would be so guided by how the team was going or how I approached an in innings so if we were four for not many I'd be okay don't get out we need to build a Gosh, partnership pressure. you know all that pressure of like or you go up four for 500 and you just got you got no care whatsoever whereas when I went up to opening the batting it was a clean slate so in my own mind I was like you know what I don't care if I get out and that's with the freedom. That's the freedom that I played. So the circumstances allowed me to have that freedom in my mind to go. You know, what? if I get out, the rest of the guys can try and sort it out. Yeah. <laughs> can try and sort it out. And that, that freedom in my mind actually was allowed me to play, have like, played my best because yeah. I had no fear of getting out. It was like, well, I'm just going to take them on, knowing that I would worked so hard on my technical skill, my defensive technique, and trusting my instincts. And that's where it was a perfect storm to get that opportunity. Um, because it opened, it opened my mindset up to be able to have that freedom.
2: Yeah, and you get the new ball filled up. Yeah, that's great. Have a slash. Yeah, um, I think who um was it the 2013 Ashes when you were moved out of the opening spot?
0: Yeah, Buff came in, changed things around. Yeah, but even up until then, like he Buff came in and I opened the, went back to open the batting again. Yeah, up until then I was batting it. I moved down to batting at four because I had a Injury setback in around when Ed Ed Cowan came in to open the batting and, and did well when he came in. Dave Warner, same sort of thing. So that was a time where, yeah, it would just Pushed wasn't, out of this. Yeah, spot. I was pushed. I was moved down to four, which to be a top water batsman in the Australian cricket team is is a you know, is one of, is is a true like. It's you're an incredible gonna, opportunity, yeah, but absolutely. But for me, in my own mind, opening the batting was the freedom in my mind to just set up those circumstances, have that freedom. So then when Buff came in, he he put me up to the top of the order. I had three test matches where I got a few 20s and 30s, maybe 140, and then, again, because I hadn't gone on and got a big one, I got moved down the order, but that's that was fine. If, you, if you're not scoring runs, you don't expect to keep getting picked. Yeah, it's a tough
2: school, that's mm. for sure. Now, I heard you say in your podcast, um, Lessons Learned with the Greats, fantastic, Mm. Uh, amazing guest list. But you you said in that podcast that the 2013-14 Ashes was Mm. your favourite series, but also that you felt that the whole country was behind the team at that point. Mm. And I sort of felt from the Australian public, we all were because, you know, you mentioned 10-11 was a nightmare. We hadn't won the Ashes for a while. Um, it, it was pretty dire times. So when Australia started to steamroll the old enemy, it was a joyous occasion. What What was the opposite of that though? When you felt you know the public weren't behind the team? Um, well, what you sort of said that always someone's in the gun.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's always absolutely. There's always there's always someone in the gun. Uh, one yeah. or two people. You know, it was He's Matt a, Wade just gone? Yeah, in Yeah, it and, and it's and it's relentless for that one or two players who are in the gun. It's relentless until. Until they get dropped, really, mm. a lot of the time. Or it's just they just are able to sort of find a way out and get runs and then, and then they're okay. But there's always someone who's it's, – and it's fully – at that time when you're in the thick of it, it's fully loaded on you. Um, so and Does the team feel that? Oh, yeah. Uh, abso- yeah, of course. Everyone's just trying to look after that person because you know that your turn is, is going to potentially be coming at some stage as well. So you're there to try and look after them. But it's just, again, it's all-encompassing. Then you start, as a batsman, you start worrying about not getting out when you go to play, which you move further away from when you're at your best. So that's where, um, you know, that 2013-14 that Ashes series was one of the moments where you just everywhere you went, everyone, everyone around the grounds, everyone around Australia where you travelled to was just so supportive. Come on, guys, this is brilliant. You could really sense it, whereas, you know, the other time, well, I suppose the 2010-11 um, where we lost an Ashes for the first time at home for a long time, like that was like, you guys are like a disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> how how like, sacrilege, how dare you do that yeah. to us by by losing on home soil. Um, it was pretty hard a time walking out of the MCG on that first
2: day <laughs> and Australia already behind by like almost 100. And yep. you're just like, okay,
0: the, the match is already gone. Yep. Absolutely, <laughs> and then being in the thick of it and being yeah. in the team. Copying it would yeah, be worse. Yeah, that's right, exactly. So, And there's times where, like even an you know, Ash's series that we that we lost away, there's times where you feel like, oh, are we going to be allowed back in? Cause, mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, it's it's just the, the beat up around it, and I suppose the, the, the media sort of beat up around it as well, and the public sort of jump on board as well. And that's why those moments where it really does all come together – that's why, like at the time, we, all, we talked about just how special it was to be able to have like everyone on our side. And it's just, it means that everyone, it just really gives you so much more like purpose and, and energy and it brings everyone together even more so when you know you've got, got um, you everyone on your side. And that was the same as a, that was the same as a 2015 World Cup as well, mm. because it was a World Cup at home, the first one at home since, since 92. And we had a, we had a very good team as well. So the expectation was high, but it was also the support was there in a big way as well. So they're the other times that you really cherish, because the other side of it, when when if it's not you, it's the teams in the gun. Like what's happened recently during the the Indian series loss here, there's always going to be someone who is the collateral damage out of it. Um, you know JL it's, this time. Yeah, and like JL's like stuff's come out that should never have come out in the public domain. Um, and there's always, there's always – and it's only the leader. Like 2010-11, mm. it was Ricky Ponning who was in the gun. He end up standing down after the, the World Cup because it's his fault. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. But it's just it always goes on to the leaders because obviously they're in charge. But, um, yeah, it, it, can be, it can be challenging. Yeah, w- what about when you were in the gun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how did you sort of deal with
2: that media spotlight? Were you someone that could kind of compartmentalise and get away from it? Um, you know, everyone's different. I know like yeah. someone like Steve Smith apparently reads everything Definitely.
0: about himself. Yeah. Um you know, what would you like? would you just like, and I'm, I'm not going near the papers. Yeah, yeah I, I just stay away. It was my only way of dealing with it, um, because I didn't want to – I knew the real, the reality of what was going on, that I wasn't scoring runs, and that if I didn't keep scoring runs, that I was going to get dropped. So I knew the reality of where things are at. So I didn't need like reinforcements of, of where I was at, but also potentially some personal digs and everything that can sort of come your way um, from the media as well. So I just I couldn't I just didn't read it. Um, whereas some other guys like like I know Michael Clark used to read just about everything, which I just I, I couldn't do because mm-hmm. even if there was like anything, if there's um, yeah, you know, a hundred really positive sort of things that are being said in comments, but there's one that's a negative, that one just eats away with you. Yeah, it just eats away at you and like, well, don't even expose myself to that. So that, yeah, that was my way of dealing with it, just actually just trying to keep it away, even though, you know, I'd always find out in some way if someone had sort of had a had a direct sort of go at me, that would be I'd find out indirectly through, yeah, <laughs> through mates my parents go, or mate. mates or, you know, whatever it was. But, um, yeah, that was my way of being able to try and deal with it as much as, as well as I could.
2: Yeah, I feel like you were misunderstood in your playing days a little bit. I also feel that perhaps had there been more, a bit more like social media and a bit more of that around when you started, it might have been better for you because I I sort of don't think we saw a lot of you early in your career. Mm. It was just, oh, he's injured again or something. Whereas now I think that cricketers have a lot more opportunity to sort of and they get, you know, their, their messages out mm. to fans and they can sort of bypass the media through
0: Insta or um, any of the platforms. Yeah, that's the, the one thing that used to, people used to say to me a lot when they'd meet me was like, gosh, I thought you were going to be really intense and like, like full on. like." Yeah, but that's like in the end where people mainly saw me was on the cricket field a lot of the time playing international cricket where it's you're like you're in survival mode. Yeah, you're trying you're trying yeah, you're to you're do, trying to your do with, you're trying to do what you can to be able to win um, pushing the limits on how good you can be as well up against some of the best cricketers in the world. so there're going to be times where things do boil over a little bit but that's also that was my headspace for me to be at my best was that intensity in that battle I, lo- I loved it and that's what got the best out of me but then people expected me thought that that's how I must be outside of the, the game as well as soon as I like <laughs> in my um, personal life. And that's not, not the case at all. But and it's not until probably the last four or five years that I've been able to sort of just like you know do other things. As you said, there's whether it's social media, whether it's other um, other ways for people to see you in a different light, apart from just in that survival mode, where they then can have a better judgment on what kind of person you are. Yeah. Instead of just seeing either one being injury being injury prone, which I was for that period of for for quite a while, um, disappointing. I was like shattered. But disappointing my teammates or, or uh, Ricky at that time, who was so um, so patient with me, but also the public because there's expectations around it as well. But um, outside of that, yeah, I was <laughs> people just <laughs> assume that that's how you are um, off the field as well. So it's been it's been really nice to be able to the last sort of four or five years for people to sort of see me in a different light compared to just being on the field, and people then not just expect me to when they meet me. I'm actually just going to be really intense. I'm going to be trying to <laughs> trying to bounce you out or something. like <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. Do
2: you know? Do you have any advice for cricketers with social media now? What what, what would you say
0: to a young cricketer with the what? What would your advice be? Yeah, two yeah two things. One is one is don't read social media. It's a great platform to be able to use, but if you're if you start like tapping on the notifications and reading all the comments. It's gonna, it's gonna, um, it's gonna gobble you up. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's just no, no, <laughs> no human can sort of absorb the ups and downs. And you're so yeah.
2: right though. It's the one bad comment that sticks out. Yeah.
0: You can have like ten people saying, oh, "I love your podcast," blah blah, and then one bloke goes, "This guy <laughs> has no idea," yeah. and that's the only thing you remember. That's it. Exactly. So, and even like recently uh, at Chennai, there was one young young guy who said, like, he thought, "Oh, like I read, I read all the comments. It's fine. I'm fine." And you're like, mm. <laughs> and then it some like a week later. It was like, you know what? It it got a bit much for me one good It's, when one good. it's a good after yeah, a good game. That's right, but it just got a bit much for me, and I really, I really struggled this night after seeing a couple of comments. So, social media is an inc- it's an incredible plat- platform to be able to get who you are away from just what people see on the cricket field, which is in the battle. Um, some people are better in the battle and come across better in a battle than than others. Like Brett Lee in the battle came across really well. Well, I thought he did because mm. he's always had a smile yeah. on his face. He he was playing it hard, but that was how. It, whereas for me, for me playing it my best, I was like engaged in the contest. Yeah. So, <laughs> so then the social media platform, people will be able to see the other side of you as well. So then they've got more of a balanced assessment on what kind of whether whether they engage with you and whether they um, have got a good rapport with you or not. So that's where social media is a great platform to be able to do it. Um, but just don't you can't get caught up in reading the comments because as soon as you do that's when you sort of it, – it could turn in a spiral pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, and we know that mental health in young people – well, anybody, but especially, you know, young athletes is such an issue. And, um, you know, we'll talk a bit later about your role in the ACA, but this is where I think you're such um, – you know, can be such a valuable guide to young players coming through who have to navigate this sort of tough um, future. So you won two World Cups, 2007-2015. You mentioned how different they were, but I can imagine the 20, 2007 World Cup with, you know, that sort of great era still, you know, McGrath send-off and Gillies' send-off, that must have been something special. And then at home, 2015, from your sort of personal experience, you know, what were the differences between the 07
0: and 15? Yeah, 07, I definitely felt like I was just there for the ride, <laughs> in a way, um being being the all-rounder battle, I was batting at number 7 and that's at that stage it was just yeah it was there just to go to go along and just try and contribute wherever I could just chip in wherever I could um and just it was yeah it was crazy to think that it's crazy thing you can go through a world cup undefeated and there was two, two 2003 and 2007 incredible it's yeah it's it's hard to get your head around that the team was that good that they dominated like like that so for me, it was just like, yeah, I just pinched myself to think that I was able to be in a team that had that much, like that many match winners. So, and I was just there to try and like chip in, chip yeah. in wherever I could. When Whereas McGrath didn't take all the wickets or. <laughs> exactly. Ponting didn't score all the yeah. runs. <laughs> so, um, and that was an incredible experience because also like I, i just come into the Australian set up in 2002, 2003, and missed out on the 2003 World Cup because of a stress fracture in my back. Um, so I was picked in the squad and then the last sort of week I had to pull out because my back was cooked. Uh, and, and Ricky was captain at that time as well. So it was really special for him to be able to see the journey that I'd gone through as well up until 2007. So like even walking around after that ground, in the after that game, the final in the dark um, <laughs> <laughs> at, um, in Barbados was a really special moment because, you know, Ricky knew like that I'd that I'd missed out, and yep. this was sort of a, a, an amazing opportunity, an amazing you know, moment for me. But then, twenty fifteen was, yeah, it was it was a totally different generation of, of cricketers. It was more so the primarily the people that I'd grown up playing with, as well as some some young guns had sort of had come in and, and been dominating um, international cricket as well. And it, and most importantly, being at home, like to be able to play as as well as we did as well, but to, for it to be at home was just a yeah a very, there a lot very of pressure time. there there was but all, but we had a very good team as well like we had a very good team so there was pressure but because we were playing so well as well like our, our team was able to in general was able to absorb that pressure really well because everyone sort of knew their role really well um, and and was doing it was doing it very well um, consistently across the board so yeah, that was just yeah, that was a very that was yeah, it was a very special time. You were very part different.
2: of an iconic moment of that World Cup when Wahab Bria's fired up <laughs> at Adelaide Oval, and <laughs> I, fi- I fired him up. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know what was that contest like for you? I mean, I know you've you've spoken how difficult it was after the death of Philip Hughes to work through facing short bowling. How was that then when you thrust into battle with a fast bowler? Trying to knock your head off, I mean, effectively. You know, how, so how difficult was that process to get to that point
0: to be able to then,
2: you know, face that sort of onslaught?
0: Yeah, that, that innings in itself, that was one of the times that I didn't have, have that fear didn't come into my, into my mind, like, all around it, like before and and after it. But I suppose because it was a, as a, as a knockout game in a World Cup at home, there was like, all that sort of the fear stuff just went to the side at that at that moment. It was more just the trying to one not get out and mm-hmm. and and try find a way to be able to absorb that spell and, and score again. I, like I poked the bear, I didn't realize he was such a big grizzly bear that he actually <laughs> could bowl that fast, and I was <laughs> the one in the gun. And he and he he got the others out pretty quickly. Did you so say a few words to him there, when he was, he was batting? Yeah, yeah, yeah was like. If I had my time again, I definitely well, I wouldn't have. <laughs> it was only something simple like if you got a hole in your back, yeah. as it was because he just kept playing missing, missing a Mitch Stark. Um, but just that spell was just so accurate, like. And at that time, it was more so. It wasn't the fear that was there. It was more so my technique with the left armers on that that one innings. I was just a bit closed off, so I kept sort of getting like a. It was like a black spot that I was just like getting closed off and just getting in a bad position. So he, And he was able to expose that because four balls and over were, like, in that area. Uh, and then had Steve Smith at the other end, who I was hoping would help me out. <laughs> hoping to help me <laughs> out. Maybe take a couple of balls so I wasn't getting peppered. Teed so would open your of, stance a bit. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he'd get on strike and then just, like, knock one of the bouncers down a fine leg. And I'd <laughs> be back on strike again. <laughs> yeah. So thanks to the, thanks to the support.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, that was a – look, that was a – in the end that was a special special moment to be a yeah, part brilliant of and, I, and I got lucky and I got lucky I got you know, dropped down at fine leg as well but that was a moment that does yeah stand out to me that I said I got lucky but that was a time that was a da- that was a danger period in the in the game as well for us you know in the in the world cup at home to potentially um expose our, our middle to lower order to to what Wahab was doing so that for me was a you know a special thing that I, that I always look back on
2: oh and fans will never forget it it was You know, an iconic part of that World Cup. You know, it was, I wouldn't say, um, you know, the fact that you breezed past New Zealand in the final and India in the, even in the semi, it was, although they chased for a little while, it was was pretty dominant. That quarterfinal, there was a moment there where you could see it going either way. And yeah, you certainly um, etched your name in Australian folklore uh, with that one. You were in the middle when Steve Smith hit the winning runs. What's that like being in the middle of the MCG when? The whole crowd just goes nuts because you've won the World Cup.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, so it's the it's probably the most special moment of my, of my career, and I've got like I've only got I've only got really one piece of memorability in my house, and it's actually a painting of that moment um, because that is just the standout for for me that time to be to be in the middle when Steve Smith hit the winning runs, and I was dirty on myself that I, there was an opportunity for me to whip one off my pads <laughs> and hit the winning runs, but I'm I've shanked it, I miss hit that ball. So, but yeah, that was a yeah that's it's a crazy. It's a crazy. It's crazy thing that I was in the middle um, when we won. When Steve hit those winning runs to win a World Cup at home. It's a. It's one of those times. Then and then, yeah. You know, after the final, when we're walking around the grounds, a moment where you just want to pause and just just be there for a long yeah, time. Yeah.
2: Wow. Well, I was there that night. It was a, a brilliant night. Mm. Um, congratulations, dual World Cup winner, Test captain. I think. He, did you skipper Australia in all three formats? Cause yeah. I think yeah. the, your last hundred was skipper in the T yeah. Twenty game at the SCG, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's good research. You know your stuff. I was there for that one. <laughs> I got to look. For, I was there for that one. Yeah. Um, so oh, we're coming to the end. I mean, one thing that's just incredible about your career is you finished on top. So IPL final 2018, just a lazy 117 off 57 balls, including eight sixes, when Chennai beat the Sunrisers it's amazing that you just were able to sustain your high level right to mm-hmm. the end even ipl 13 what what sort what sort of kept that what kept your skills up do you mm-hmm. think in those last few years when you know it's easy for a player to
0: sort of fade out yeah. never happened for you it's uh, two things i suppose the, yeah two things one was i was trying to prove it i was trying to prove a couple of things to myself as a starting point one was the theory around it, as a as a batsman alone, but cricket in general. The older you get, yeah, you know, towards the back end, you should really you taper off. Um, and my thought was around was well, you should actually be more skilled because you've had more more skill development. As long as physically you're not actually like you haven't slowed down and bowling wise that was for me, but mm. batting wise, if my reflexes, if I'm able to sort of work on my reflexes unless I've got like a physical sort of injury that's stopping me moving quickly, um, then surely my skills should actually be better than they than they've ever been, in theory of skill development. And the other the other one was around well also my experience of playing in different conditions, different bowlers, trying to tap into that. So that was one aspect. The other one was around the mental skills. And that's why by educating myself, you know, twenty end of twenty fifteen, like a deep understanding of the mental skills from a from a yeah, you know, guru mental skills coach from the US that I that I was introduced to. That was also again proving the point around okay, if I can get out of my own way from a mental skills point of view, surely I've still got a lot of good cricket in front of me. And these are the t- these and that's what I sort of that's we one of the reasons why it kept me going is to go well, let me let me try and prove that theory instead of it just sort of being a theory that um, that I might finish and then go well maybe I could have if I if I really worked on mental skills. So so that was the thing that I really, really worked on. And mm. there's no question being able to play only t- T20 cricket meant that it was just refining that that skill. And especially batting-wise, it was just refining that skill, even in club cricket, playing here in uh, for the Sutherland Sharks. I'll be playing a two-day game, and I'm practising after the first sort of 10 to 12 balls. Practicing I'm practising the t- T20 batting. So these poor <laughs> guys who rocked up on the weekend thinking they'd just hit a hit a length, and I was coming and taking them on. But that was like... So i been able to really concentrate my just practising one skill as well, instead of sort of being test cricket one days and T20s and trying to just find a way to m- manoeuvre through those different format changes. It was just all my skill was on that. So... So those were the things I suppose that kept me really going to be able to prove that if you if you can get out of your own way from a mental skills point of view, then you got a chance of being able to access all these skills you got and still have some really good innings.
2: Yeah, Shane, it just does seem like weird timing. You retired from Test cricket in twenty fifteen, and then you got your mental skills in order. It's everyone has
0: regrets. Uh, I'm sure you it's wish. Not a regret, um, it's just more so just that that came along at that time in, my, in my know, life it's, that real education. It, it, but um, and I wouldn't have it any, any other like any other yeah, cause way because you you do you make the most of what you've got and, and what you get to a certain at that point. Yeah, absolutely at that time. So, um, it's just I do look back and especially just even understanding how to be able to the mental energy how to how to look after and conserve your mental energy. That's one thing I was good at burning mental energy in test <laughs> cricket, especially. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean you can't go back in time, but I guess
2: now with your fantastic podcast, you can pass on this knowledge to young cricketers and. Um, who can you know start with this information rather than have to sort of find it out? Yep. One thing you sort of talk about your skills. I am curious then, you know, facing fast bowling, they often say you know, batsmen in their late thirties lose a little bit. Did you find against some of the the quickest bowlers in the IPL you were losing any sort of um, speed or was it fine?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was fi- it was fine. Like your reflexes and everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's the thing that always hurts. Well, the older you get, your eyes start to go a little bit. Your reflexes mm. aren't as good. But no, Not like any time you face, like even like in my prime, you're facing a guys by 150 ks. T- quick either way. Yeah, yeah, it's like and you're mm. trying to take him down. Like in a t20 yeah. game, it's hard. It's challenging because you got to try and get, pick the ball up and then swing fast enough to get to be able to connect the ball out in front to be able to get elevation. So at any stage when you're facing someone quick, it's 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 challenging. So um, no, I felt. Like and that, again, that was part of me trying to prove to myself around. Well, I can still, I still got my skills. And maybe it does show that now,
2: a lot of cricketers, if they retire in their mid thirties and want to play T Twenty cricket for a few more years, it's it's just about, as you say, working on those skills and making sure
0: you're refining your reflexes and keeping it up. But it's keeping it up. That's a that's the one thing that I I found I, I found the hard way was after the twenty sixteen T Twenty World Cup. I played the CPL just about straight after it. And then I had like four months off. I thought, you know, I'm just going to have – it's my first proper break that I've had really ever with and it was with my family. I'll just play a f- some practice games then in the lead up to the Big Bash. So I didn't play any great cricket. Um, and then I got a calf injury in the lead up to that. So I was, I was on the back foot and I didn't keep my skills up. So after that, after that season, I just knew that I had to keep my skills going, have a little bit of a period off – but make sure that I, as soon as club cricket started that I, that I that I just kept my skills going through. And it meant that, you know, I was sort of balancing life, one foot in, still playing one foot out, sort of putting things together for the next phase of my life as well. But I needed that sort of discipline to be able to keep my skills going. So then when I had to step up and go and play the Big Bash, I'd had the grounding and my skill development anyway.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, on the IPL, I'm really curious how intensities for a competitor, because sort of from the outside now, and I'm looking at sort of, you know, some of the most intense cricket, I think World Cups, I think, um, you know, Ashes, but then I sort of, you know, the big test series, but then I look at the IPL and I think this has to be super intense to compete in because – it's it's the best players in the world playing against each other with phenomenal pressure coming from franchise owners and you know personal pressure to succeed and live up to your contracts. Mm. I mean, is that is that a fair impression of the tournament?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great tournament in a lot of different ways, and that's that's the one thing is the the pressures that that's on it. One because as a starting point, you have got the best cricketers in the world. There's a, there's a window for it, so there's no cricket on any any cricket on. It's just the best players in the world who, who are getting there. But then, yeah, it's the you said that's very, very right. The the franchise owners expect a lot. If and if they pay you a lot, they expect a lot of performances. Results, yeah, <laughs> they want results, and they don't really take to not not performance very well. It's
2: like four overseas players a game, and if you're not performing, you're out yep, very you're quickly. Out. Exactly. And Steve Smith lost two hundred million, uh, two two million yep. value in one year. I mean, there's they just don't seem to have any sort of. Um, you know, they've got very high expectations.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's all. That's part of what I, yeah, I, lo- I love playing as well. Even if you're not playing international cricket, you're still able to play if you get an opportunity to play, in it, you're still playing an international quality tournament. But the pressures that that go on, that's I suppose it's part of. It's just a different pressure compared to playing for Australia. But it's still the expectation that every time you go out, you, should you need to perform. But it's not
2: far below international cricket, then,
0: is no. it? Or if if because you know, no. it looks from the outside, oh no, it's not. No, like T Twenty cricket, I'd say. I'd say it's stronger than in T20 international cricket. Yeah. Because a lot of the time you play T20s for Australia, unless, a wo- unless it's a World Cup. Half the teams. It's, it's half gone. the teams, right? So because of whatever the schedule or whatever it is. So you're normally not playing the best team. So T20 World Cups, you definitely are. Uh, but it depends on which teams you play. Whereas the IPLs, there's no, there's now. Well, the first few years, there's always one, probably at least one week link. And that was more so from a local player an Indian player, whereas now, because Indian cricket's just grown, the strength of Indian cricket's so strong now, there's not really a weak link at at all in any any team that you play.
2: Do you think um, Indian cricket has benefited from having every year all this sort of uh, talent just migrating to India, coaches, players? Uh, We saw on the recent Indian Test Tour that, you know, their second and third teams are, are bloody good. You know, is it just they've just developed their game over the last 10 12 years now.
0: Yep, definitely. Yeah, because of the the just the quality of that tournament, the exposure they get to high pressure situations as well even before they play for India. Like Shubman Gill, who's a guy a young guy who played who plays at Calcutta, yeah. to see the way he came in and just you know, owned test cricket like <laughs> just batted so like he does in the in the IPL as well. When I mean, you walk out in the IPL and there's packed stadiums
2: and you got to win. yeah, it's not a big difference. Between the pressure in a test match,
0: exactly right, and and there's like there's a lot of people getting that exposure. Um, so and as you said, like the the international coaches that are going over as well, they're getting exposure to like Delhi are getting exposure to Ricky Ponting, who's one of the best cricketers ever played. His knowledge, and understanding of the game, warning at Rajasthan, exactly right. So that absolutely, there's no secrets why Indian cricket's continued to just strengthen. Yes, they've got they've always had. Mass numbers, just because of the sheer population they have, and everyone who loves cricket. But now it's more, it's more, it's more concentrated because of those opportunities of getting in, in and around the IPL as a starting point. Wow, um, I have to go one day and watch the IPL live when we can
2: travel again. When We can travel, yeah. <laughs> now, um, Shane, we've, we've worked through your career. Now, post playing, you, you're doing some really exciting stuff one thing that I think is really important is you're a board member on the Australian Cricketers Association, and obviously there's tons of issues that are swirling around. But I guess from a personal point of view, what are a couple of issues you're particularly passionate about and you want to kind of move forward while you're on
0: the board? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of ones that I'm, I'm very um, strong on personally. Um, and I feel very fortunate to be able to you know, be so heavily involved in the in, – Australian cricket because of my role at the Players Association, so it's a way for me to be able to still stay connected with the game here. And the like t- the two in particular two sort of issues one is one is the pension fund for the sort of ret- retired Aussie guys who sort of missed out on the professional era of Australian cricket. That's something that I'm really working um, in the in the background, and that's part of T Twenty Stars what I'm doing to generate income and profit to be able to channel that through to seeding a, a pension fund for. The, for the retired Aussie cricketers, male, male, and female, because it's something that I think as a community within Australian cricket we need to be able to give back to the people who inspired us, and a lot of those people, even you know, generation, a couple of generations before, they certainly didn't have the financial benefits. So I feel it's a way to be able to connect, keep like keep those incredible people who love the game, who experience the same things as we have, to be able to keep them within the game as well. So that's that's one thing that I'm. Um, that I'm really passionate about. The other one is just in around mental skills and mental health, because that's obviously in this day and age how things are evolving with just you know the expectations and and also the you know the bubble life now is really concentrating that even more so of what your coping mechanisms are. And uh, and Australian cricket and the Australian Players Association are really a, a very diligent and very uh, moving forward to to be able to try and put all the things in place to make sure that these. Young cricketers, male and female, have the best sort of mental skills um, that they can to be able to deal with all the different situations um, that that arise. So, and that's two two aspects. One, you know, it's my passionate. It's you know, one of the things that I've um, I've set a business up, which is um, Beyond Performance, which is around mental skills for performance. But the other one is just the coping mechanisms, and that's why the mental mental health is a really important part that I'm really really passionate about. So they're the two sort of core things that. Yeah, I'm trying to do whatever well, I can they, within to be able to, to be able to help um, in those ways. And there's you know, there's always you know, a number of things that are always on the on the go as well. But yeah, I feel very fortunate now with Todd Greenberg, who's who's the new CEO of, of the ACA. Gosh, we've got some we've got some serious power there now as well.
2: Yeah, and with the mental health aspect of it, do you find that there's a particular cricket problem,
0: or more so, it's it's just kind of mirroring broader society? Yeah, I think it's more so mirroring broader society. It just seems that's the way that, um, you know, people are evolving really uh, just because of upbringing and just society expectations and now, you know, with, with social media and and the, <laughs> and the scrutiny, even in small ways, the scrutiny can, that pr- that can provide on people in general. So, yeah, I don't think it's a, certainly creates not a, a sport that's sort of more of a um, an outlier in that regard. I just think it's the way society's is... Um, evolving so we just need to be very 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 careful
2: i mean you would have seen a big shift from when you started playing if you'd gone in to a dressing room when you started playing and said i oh, made them struggling you know people said oh he's soft you know hard nut but now if you go in and, and say you know you're struggling mentally you will get looked after yep. which is a significant
0: shift yep it certainly is and I suppose there's there's obviously there's two there's two sides to it. One is like when when I was coming through in the generations before, it was just like, well, you just like get on with it. That's yeah. what it was. Like whatever you're dealing with, get on with it. And one part m- made you <laughs> you either sunk or swam. Yeah, you know, it's either you you're able to find ways coping coping mechanisms to deal with it, or you just you fell you fell off fell off the cliff in a way. You're sort of like, I'm out. I can't I, I can't deal with mm. this. But now the great thing is that people it's, – it's available that people actually feel they can talk about it now. So it's not just – it can help people develop those coping mechanisms without actually feeling like it's either sink or swim. Yeah. Because it, be, it doesn't need to be that way. But we need to make sure that people do, like, build their resilience as well. So it's um, – and that's, and that's the, I suppose, the balancing act. You want to make sure people are 100% supported – but they, but with that, they're supported to be able to build those coping mechanisms so when that situation or situations of that arise again, they've got better skills to be able to try and navigate their way through it a little bit smoother. And uh, I guess it's all about education. Yeah, of
2: course. Now, next question from a, a long-time cricket podcaster. You know, I said, you mentioned before, Lesson Learned with the Greats. It's an excellent mm-hmm. podcast. Excellent. You know, first guest, just Viv Richards. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, just, just right here, probably yeah. the greatest batter. Ever, um, <laughs> ever, especially yeah. from that generation. Uh, why did you start a podcast?
0: I started, I started Lessons Over the Greats. It was all around. I want to be able to try and give people who haven't been as, as fortunate and lucky as me, who've been able to get to know, like so many great cricketers that I've ever been, to be able to feel like they can actually sit down and have a conversation and ask the questions that they want to know to help them develop as cricketers so um and you know just about just about all of my guests i know really well um i've had conversations with them in so many different way in so many different ways but this is actually even a even a better platform to ask like go a little bit deeper as well and i learned a number of things even from some of my best mates that i actually played with and spent so much time on and off the cricket field with that they revealed things that i actually i wish i knew i wish i actually understood why they did things so like, I just – I'm doing it because I wish I had something like this when I was 16 and 17, wanting to understand what the best cricketers did around the world to get the best out of them and sort of maybe try, try a couple of little things that might have, might have helped me. So yeah, that's, that's the reason why it was, was, mm. done, was done, is just to be able to try and help that next generation, the younger generation, sort of work through. So instead of having to have the opportunity to be able to sit down and talk to Viv Richards, for example – they can just listen to the podcast and get more of an understanding of what are the things that you know, he'd, he'd learned through his career. So I feel, yeah, I feel incredibly lucky. Um, and that's why I'm just trying to get, get, it, get it out there to as many people as possible. It's
2: also great um, because, you know, you have personal relationships with them. They feel quite comfortable, so therefore... You know, you can get a lot out of them. It's, it's a very, um, you know, they've got a good vibe to them, the conversations, from your point of view. So what's it like being an interviewer? You would have, for the last 20 years, been asked a million questions. What's it like
0: now you're on the other side? Yeah, I love, I love it. It's, it's a different skill. Um, but it's a skill around, I suppose, coaching in a way as well, how to be able to try and listen to be able to then pull the, like, pull the gold out of them. I suppose in a way, without without, and again, that's the one thing I, I made, I've always made it very clear. I'm not there to be able to try and like trip them, trip these guys up or expose them in any way. It's more so just what they're willing to to reveal. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I've I've loved it. Yes, there's no question. I'm I'm no like I'm not Bruce McAvaney or anyone like that. <laughs> but the more I've done it, the more the more comfortable, more, more more comfortable and better I've got. I feel it. You know, I'm just try and find ways to be able to get. Get the best information I possibly can out of out of these guys.
2: And so, do you prepare a lot leading up to it? Oh yeah, of course. I'm,
0: I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm very particular with, yeah. um, with. You do a lot of research. Yeah. Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. And majority of these guys, if not like all of them that I've interviewed, I n- I know them just about inside out. Whether it's by growing up and idolizing them, or whether it's actually playing with them or playing against them throughout my career as well. So, but oh yeah, I'm I'm particular in making sure that I'm I'm well prepared. Um, to be able to make sure that I, I yeah, you know, just make them feel as comfortable as, as, um, as I can, but also yeah, get the informa- information out that I, that I can as well. So I've, yeah gosh, I've, I feel I just feel very fortunate to be able to have this opportunity about it. mean it's a very fortunate it. guest list. any yeah. podcaster would kill for it. it's
2: it's a it's a, f- it's a fantastic resource actually mm. for young cricketers and and you're right, you're not trying to trip them up. you're not trying to get salacious stories. You just want to unlock their secrets, their stories, and it comes across that way. So congratulations. I listened to um, the one with Dean Jones just after he passed away um, because it was relatively recent. And, you know, that was really special to have that on record, that relatively recent interview. Yeah, I think that was really fantastic that you were able to do that. So um, congratulations. And, um, you know, if all that wasn't enough... You've started your own range of cricket gear. Now, I I heard you speaking to Pete Lawler and Gideon Hay on their podcast. So I know that, you know, part of your motivation was to make gear that was sort of inexpensive and affordable. Yeah. You know, I think that's very noble. I've got an idea for you. I've got an idea for for you. So what about pads that when the ball hit them – Left a little mark. So, say you were sort of having problems with DRS, you could look down and go, "Oh, it's hit the outside of the pad." So I might, I might go upstairs
0: <laughs> with that one. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? It'd be good. It'd be yeah. Well, <laughs> it'd be good to know. Might have probably helped me as well. <laughs> yeah. So at least I could have like lined it up a little bit better. The um, DRS breaker by Watto. Yeah, I know exactly. That could be. Yeah, I might I have to talk to a manufacturer see if I can get that <laughs> on.
2: So seriously yeah. though, you've 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 started your your brand of um, Shane Watson gear T twenty mm. All Stars. So, what do you? What's sort of the, the theory behind it? What what's going to make your stuff a bit different to what's around? Yeah, well,
0: I suppose the starting point is just around the, desi- the design. So, everything that I'm doing um, with my with my gear is all around what I know. Like works and the design and the, the extra protection or the shape of the bat, for example, it's just everything that I've, I suppose, the knowledge that I've gained about because I'm so I've always been I was so particular about cricketers are
2: cricketers are you Abs- just so absolutely into so, it.
0: so as a starting point that's the reason why I was like I reckon I can I reckon I can design across like from the entry level range all the way up to the top of the range all all the features in that that are so important to be able to. Make sure these people are using the best gear that they can for for whatever price range that they that they are in. So and so it's so it's fueling my like my gear. I was, I've been a gear tragic since I was a young kid. Mm. So it's fueling that. But the other thing is just around making making the gear affordable. So for the the different sort of the ranges that um, or the range that I've got right now, but the ranges that I will have, it's just making making it affordable for people if they want to get like a, a mid range mid range products. Mm. It's actually, it's, it's what the price, the price it should be. Um, so that's why every, the T20 stars, it's all online. It's, take, it's cutting out the middleman. So it's just going directly from wholesale, directly to the consumer. So it's, the products are for, yeah, compared to the, um, compared to the other brands for that price, for that quality of product. It's it's much more affordable. The
2: online bit gets me because I've got two kids. You're busy every weekend, running around. You know, sometimes you just want to be able to click on, order something, and it arrives, not have to go to a cricket centre somewhere and it takes the whole day. So, you know, you finding it? Is it been a success so far?
0: Uh, yeah, look, absolutely. Um, it's because it's a different way of buying things, though. Like for for cricket for cricketers in general, especially people in and around the city, they used to going to. Great Chapel Cricket Centre or Kingsgrove and going and you know, picking the gear are out. So so in that regard it's just it's gonna take a little bit of time for people to sort of change their buying habits for cricket gear. But um, once they realise people realise that the, the quality and once they know the sizing and everything and, and also COVID sort of sped up the online sort of um, purchasing habits anyway. Absolutely. So um so in that regard it's a it's sort of a perfect time to be able to to be able to launch it as well. But that's all part of you know the online e-commerce sort of space now it's it's a way to be able to make things a better a better price point for the exact same quality quality of gear just because you're you're only online
2: yeah it's fantastic well um there's a link to t20 stars in the show notes go and have a look shane watson entrepreneur podcast
0: former cricket star what's next Hopefully successful, very successful podcaster, entrepreneur in the next <laughs> phase. That's, I suppose that's how I'm, um, I'm built is to be able to just try and get the best out of myself in whatever I do. So I feel, um, so the next phase is going to be you know, trying to push the limits on, on how good I can be, whether it's with, um, you know, with my family being the best dad that I can be and best husband, but also this next phase of my life to be able to try and, you know, really build a successful successful business as well are your
2: family happy to have you at home now that you've retired
0: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely like it takes like initially coming back after being away for three months It always every time I was, I was away and getting back into the sort of rhythm of the family um family life more so because things have changed with the, the kids routines and everything like that um and and now yeah the, like yeah the kids are loving being home most of the time they're like sometimes they're like well how aren't old you, are your kids you kids now? Away? So uh, my son will seven and my daughter's five, Matilda. So, um, yeah, but it's just beautiful it's so special. To be yeah, at yeah. and it's so special to be at home. Like, it really is. Like, the how complicated the world is now with travel and all that sort of thing. It, it I feel very, very lucky to be at home and be able to yeah, make the most of living here in Sydney.
2: Well, you retired at the right time then to leave all the bubbles behind and quarantine and just hang with the family. Well, Shane, thank you so much for coming on Cricket Unfiltered. It's been an absolute pleasure to interview you. Go and listen to Lessons to Learn with the Greats for all your cricket tragics out there and head to t20stars.com for all your gear. And, Shane, uh, best of luck with all your future endeavours. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to chat. Pleasure.
2: I hope you enjoyed my first Menace Masterclass with Shane Watson. Thanks for subscribing to Cricket Unfiltered on Patreon, and I'll be back next month with another Menace Masterclass.
1: On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.